uh, humans are deeply flawed, and if you understand how they're deeply flawed, you can use that as a means of getting getting to truth, uh, avoiding the complications that come along with arriving at truth. Now, one of the characteristics of humans is that we we are belief oriented, and we strive to maintain an absolute certainty in our beliefs, and we generally have a delusion that we achieve that often, when really we only achieve that, really not that often, especially not when your humans do not strive, are not naturally inclined to strive for real truth. We are naturally inclined to strive for absolute certainty in what we believe. And here's the thing that's really throws a, a loop in the whole in the whole situation is that that absolute certainty hides us from the fact that we're really not truth seekers in the sense of of reality we're truth seekers in terms of finding an absolute truth and here's the greatest criteria for that truth and that is that's reflected in, in others people's thinking you can kind of almost imagine if you go through history and, and how the intellect evolved and how it was, a, it was a communal thing for communal survival, you know, natural selection, right? There's The community had to survive and it had to have some way to achieve unity, but at the same time it had to have some way to achieve um, changes. And the way it kind of works out in the human mind is one of the mechanisms that involved is, is this notion of absolute certainty. And so the trick is, from a scientific perspective, it's just simply to know that there's no such thing as absolute certainty and to not allow yourself to strive for that, to instead strive for details, that's important, details of what we understand and or think we understand and or don't quite understand or want to understand. And it's got to be that focus on details and trying to put it into a larger picture where you do your best to avoid the natural tendency for your mind to seek to believe. Because once that happens, once you do believe, you're not going to be able to advance anymore. You're stuck. So my understanding of human evolution, having worked it out a long time ago and understanding how the human mind evolved, allows me a much better understanding of my weaknesses, whereas other people don't really get that that much, and so they don't, they're not aware of this, this tendency to seek absolute truth. And that's a weakness in terms of science, in terms of making advancements. And here's kind of a, um, let me see if I can express this, uh, a way to put it in perspective. There's a tendency, and even part of our understanding of human evolution, the way we view how we evolved over uh, the longest time, which itself is not really correct, and I'll explain why in a second. But, for example, we think of ourselves as, as having at some point, broken off from the other animals who were all red and tooth and claw and constantly, you know, killing each other or or out, trying to outrun each other or something like that, and that we took, we decided this different path, and this different path involved us using our intellect to start to use tools to build things and to um, achieve more of an organized understanding of, of a society. Now, here's the thing, though. The cause and effect there is really messed up, especially if we look in terms of intellectual development. You know, what was the reason? Well, we started to just suddenly become rational. That's kind of what they're saying. Now, that actually doesn't make sense because there's really no reason to be rational in terms of uh, using tools or whatever in the earliest years of human evolution that makes any sense at all. And in a sense, that leaves us with only one option, that is tools that are emotional. And actually, that's, 
that's where we do find the solution. That has to do with my uh, theory on human evolution. I'm not going to get into that now. I do want to keep the focus in this discussion on how this left us with this delusion about our ability to be rational. That is one of the delusions that is, is itself the product of human evolution in that we think of ourselves as having the ability to work through the cause and effect and the understanding to arrive at our truth such that it makes perfect sense to us. And we don't realize that most of the time it's our subconscious trying to convince us of something, trying to confirm something that's consistent with who you've always been. And you always want to believe that you've always been, you know, involved with truth. And, and that's how most people think in their whole, you know, it's about this reality, this truth. And we think in those terms, we actually use those words with, you know, what my reality is. Now, ultimately, though, rational reality doesn't care about what you want, what we want, or what we believe we understand. And that's why we have the scientific process, because the scientific process has a mechanism which prevents you from going down that path that we know will lead to nowhere scientifically, and that mechanism is the scientific method. Now, the problem is just getting people to actually apply it when they're surrounded with all this other stuff that's telling them, you just need to believe. So there is this constant barrage upon real science from pseudoscience, and it's from people who, who really do believe that they have some deep understanding that they don't really have at all. And you, you can expose this in people, but when you do, they become real emotional. So that kind of makes it real hard. They can't process it. But like, kind of let me kind of give you more of a general understanding of where the real problem is. And the problem is this belief that humans are fundamentally rational is so widespread that it turns off a lot of the people who should be applying the scientific method because they have this belief that humans are rational. Not only that, but this belief is literally built into, for example, our understanding within anthropology. They refer to it as, you know, the tool-using hypothesis, and it's, well, it's fundamentally wrong, and I don't want to go into that right now, but I do want to say this, though. We did evolve the ability to become rational and logical and use those tools, and there had to be a reason for that, and I think I know what that reason is. The reason is that as we came into a situation where we had to collectively work like a unit, we needed a mechanism to achieve that unity, but that also allowed us to understand different economic circumstances actually to shift that belief and the way it kind of emerged is that people would tell stories make arguments they would uh, talk about truth talk about god la di da it's all this kind of constant narrative back and forth and as they did that they started to use logic as a means of achieving some kind of um, consistency because you have a baseline to stay within each other's reality now, the funny thing is, though, is we evolved to not get stuck in that baseline. We evolved to kind of misunderstand it to some degree and to actually believe something different because what we believe at a certain time has very important functions evolutionary over time as to whether or not our society did survive, did outlast the other, the other things that were coming from outside that were um, bearing down on the society and, and potentially threatening its whole existence. That being migration from other species, by the way, which was the biggest problem through all of human evolution, is migrating species during the dry season. And it, out of this came agriculture, out of this came war, out of this came, um, you know, the rock throwing. Those were the original tools, and keep in mind, that that's an emotional tool. Uh, territorialism and... and um, 
beginning to express themselves emotionally and, and, and eventually storytelling. And eventually out of that, after that went on for the longest time, logic started to become the means by which you could more and more achieve your achieve a societal understanding of rationality and logic, a societal agreement as to what is the new truth at any particular in time. And, um, and that's kind of how uh, we evolved. We, and here's the, the most important comment in all this. I'll just put it down to this. We evolved rationality as a means of achieving over and over again super pseudo understanding of reality. You hear that? A super pseudo. So it's a very particular view on reality that seems extremely real to us, but that's actually not, and that we have collectively with others. That's how we evolve, and that's why we evolved rationality. So rationality is just the, um, it's just the tail of a much larger dog. It's like a feature we evolved, but then only evolved because it made it a little bit more, or made it a little bit more efficient for us to become believers in a larger cause, which is what we are innately about. So, <laughs> now how can you use this in terms of, how, do, how have I used it in terms of science? Well, I realized that whenever there's confusion in science, when there's, when there's a failure to understand, what will happen is a pseudo-understanding will emerge. And that pseudo-understanding will be very powerful psychologically. And you'll find that it has group support. It will be almost indistinguishable from a, a religion once you actually examine it and look at it logically, which of course is difficult because people don't want to look at it logically innately. And what happens is within these pseudo paradigms, as I guess we could call them, or these 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 parts of science that pop up that have not correct understandings, but that, that end up using group-based psychological tactics to maintain the illusion of being true. And they do this just naturally. It's just like any other human entity, like a religion, let's say, they form their own absolute truths, and a lot of those absolute truths have to do with loyalty to the group, which is something we don't want to have in science, but it's there. We have to, we, it is there because we're dealing with humans. And so, realizing all this, what did I do? I was very careful not to just accept the narrative that was being put out there. I was very careful to start to ask questions like, well, how do they know that? And have they tested that? And I've come to find out that when within the subject that I came came to be an expert in, which is uh, meteorologies of, well, the physics of storms, I came to the realization that they weren't really doing science and they hadn't really been for a long time. It was just a narrative. And so it became the current paradigm. I would just say, okay, obviously not true. Here are common observations anyone can make to show that it's not true. I'm putting these out there though for anybody who wants to, to say that maybe I made a mistake somewhere. And it goes on from there. And as you, as I realized over the years, and this is starting back in 2012, and it's what, 2022 now, and just talking with people casually and meteorologists themselves, none of them, nobody anywhere really understands it. Nobody. Anybody who says they do understand it only does so because they can point to a textbook and go, well, read that, and then we'll discuss it, and that's the end of it. And, um, and that's what's going on with meteorology and that's what that's why I was able to uh, eventually come to an understanding of the real physics of storms I was eventually able to use that to decipher what's going on in different types of severe weather like tornadoes and maybe the most important one is hurricanes 
and through understanding what's really happening in, in hurricanes, which has nothing at all, nothing whatsoever to do with what the current paradigm tells us it has everything to do with, which is convection and hot tower nonsense, just complete nonsense. It has nothing whatsoever to do with that. By understanding what it does have to do, or what, how am I, how am I saying this? By understanding what is the actual cause and effect in the atmosphere, you actually are led to a model where it starts to become easy to conceptualize how you might find ways to control these things. Now, in other words, you you have to find your way to the cause and effect of a storm, and you also therefore might find your way to where that process that's involved there might be its weakest, might be its most vulnerable. So if you did want to stop it or interrupt it, you now know that potentially there is a way to do that. And of course, that comes after you understand what is actually happening in the storm and get away from the nonsense that, that is really part of a religious belief associated with meteorology that's grown up, that's become an institution in and of itself, in which no one therein will actually answer any questions publicly. They all just point to the literature and say, oh, you know, go write a paper if you don't believe that. And so, and that's what underlies uh, solving tornadoes is that we have figured out the actual mechanics that happen in storms and even in, in hurricanes. We can, for example, explain why tornadoes take place on the grounds while hurricanes stay up in the sky. There's actually a, a literal scientific explanation of that. So um, this is uh, James McGinn with Solving Tornadoes. Thank you.